an astronomy podcast for people who are overwhelmed by the universe but want to be its friend. Aw, hello, that is me. Hi, I'm Dr. Moya McTeer, astrophysicist, folklorist, and friend to the universe, and also friend to my co-host. Uh-huh, and that's me, Corinne Caputo, writer, fun person, friend to the universe, friend to Moya. And I'm so excited about today's episode. Yes, today we have our second guest episode ever. We are joined by someone who I am genuinely just so excited to have on this show. So let me let me throw some accolades at you. And, and trust me, there are a lot. Um, so we are talking today to Serafina Elbadri-Nance. Uh, she is a soon-to-be doctor of astrophysics from UC Berkeley. That's where she's calling in from now, where she specializes in supernovae, so explosions of big stars. Aside from research, Serafina is also a science communicator, a women's health advocate, a swimsuit model, an analog <laughs> astronaut, and an author, which is why we're here today. But also I wanted to tack on at the end, like a personal friend, because I love you so much. Thank you, Serafina, for being here. <laughs> I love you. I'm so excited to be here. I am, uh, yeah, just like head over heels for Moya and so stoked to be doing this pod. So thanks for having me. Yay. So we are so happy to have you here. We are here to talk about your amazing book, your memoir, Starstruck, uh, which is a beautifully honest memoir about how, Serafina, how your love of space has helped you overcome really difficult obstacles in your life. Um, I was privileged to read an early copy. And I want to talk about that book. But first, I want to talk a bit about your research, if that's cool. Yeah, I love to talk about research. Okay, yeah. So like, what do you study? What about these supernovae are you into? (laughs) So originally, I was really interested in what types of stars explode, how they explode, when they explode. I was especially interested in a star called Betelgeuse. Mm. And it's a star that we can see with the naked eye. It's only about six light years away. And I was trying to determine when it will explode as a supernova. And now I have sort of shifted from like progenitors of supernova. So the stars that will ultimately become supernova to using exploding stars to measure the rate of the expansion of the universe. So I use them as tools to sort of probe the fabric of the universe to figure out what's going on up there. That's very cool cosmology work. Corinne, how did did that sound to you? I mean, I barely followed it, but I'm so excited. I feel like that's like 50% of, yeah. the, of the battle. It's like, if I get someone excited, just keep yeah. asking me questions. And <laughs> I don't think mm-hmm. I've consciously thought that someone is back there kind of figuring out when this, the star is going to explode. I think I've just decided as if like that information is already available to us. So <laughs> I wish it was already available <laughs> to us. That would make my job a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. If you could go to some old dusty book in a library and just look up the time yeah. that it would explode, that'd be really nice. That would be great. So just, easy. Just tell me the future yeah. of the universe. That That's what that book should be titled. And Moya, I think you should write that one <laughs> yeah. oh, Okay, thank you. <laughs> nice um, I'll, I'll keep them coming. Uh, wait, so Serafina, if we did have that book, if there was... Uh, an old tome that told you when every star in the universe that could go supernova would, what then would you want to know the answer to? Like, what question could you answer if you had that information? That's a really good question. Um, In terms of my current research, it's really important to understand the date of the explosion of the star to, like, a really high percent level. Mm. So we want the uncertainty on that date to be quite low because the uncertainty in the ocean date can affect everything else in our sort of model. Basically, in science terms, the air propagates through. And so if you have an error in the uncertainty date, you maybe don't actually get the results that you would have gotten otherwise. So that's a boring way to answer that question. (laughs) The more fun way to answer that question is that we would be able to sort of tell when we should go look up at the night sky and where we should point our telescopes Mm. at what time to capture these explosions, um, which would be really neat, I think, for everybody on Earth, but especially astronomers. Yeah, Yeah, for sure, because there's still a lot about the kind of not ignition because you're not like really setting it on fire, but like the the catalyst of the supernova explosion. Like we we haven't been able to observe one like at the very beginning stages of it because we're always playing catch up. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then you add in the sort of like 
time effects Mm -hmm. where what we're looking at is back in time. And so the stars that we're observing explode actually exploded, you know, 500 years ago or however far away it is. So, um, yeah, being able to just really pinpoint that would be really exciting. And then we could get neutrino detectors involved and we could get all sorts of exciting things to be able to do really cool physics. Yay. All right. Okay. I, I just had a couple nerdy supernova questions that I wanted. I, I know it. I love to nerd yeah. out about yeah. stars. Also because I think I think it's really interesting that you you are an astrophysicist and a science communicator and an accomplished many other things, right? As I've already said. But your first book is a memoir, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, as a 29-year-old woman, you know, like what? 30, 30? a month ago, but yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, so what made you want to write about yourself instead of your, your research for your first book? I imagine there might be many more in the future. Yeah, that's actually something that I was talking about with my partner this morning. Um, he was asking, you know, have I thought about writing another book? And what type of book would it be? And I immediately mm. answered, it would not be a science book. And I think it's sort of backwards answering your question and that I have a deep interest in talking and exploring the human behind the science. That to me is really interesting. I think I spend, I mean, Moya, you got your PhD in astrophysics. You know, it's like you spend 95 Mm -hmm. to 99% of your time coding and bugging and sort of the like nuts and bolts of research. And then the last like one to 5% is like, oh, let me think about (laughs) what I'm doing and try to interpret Mm -hmm. it and learn something about the universe. And I enjoy that. Like, I think it's cool, but I more than that, I think enjoy the interpretation process. And I enjoy thinking about the implications of things. And, And for me, a memoir is sort of thinking about the implications of like, how I got to where I am and why I am the way that Mm -hmm. I am and, and the why behind it all. And I think like those types of questions are fascinating Mm. and worth exploring. And, you know, I write about in the book, I guess it's a spoiler, but I talk a lot (laughs) about, um, you know, exploring the universe out there up in space in order to explore the universe within ourselves. And Mm. I think there's this really interesting notion that, we each have our own universe within inside of us and it's made up of thoughts and emotions and beliefs and values. And I really enjoy spending a lot of time thinking about those questions. That's really beautiful. I love that. That's really nice. <laughs> I just ranted for like 10 minutes. Apologies. No. <laughs> you, you really didn't. That was a, a succinct response to a broad question. <laughs> well, for our for our listeners who don't haven't seen your book yet, how would you describe it to them? Other than the fact that it's a memoir, I think it's structured sort of interestingly. So the format of the book is 12 chapters, but each chapter is bookended with a short science essay about a feature of astronomy. Essentially, the book's format traces the evolution of the universe in tandem with the evolution of my own life. Like that was really fascinating to me. Um, because I was able to draw in the sort of hard science that I spend my day thinking about and then mirroring it with, you know, myself and and my own journey. So Mm. other than the format, you know, I, for a 30 year old, I think have had, I don't know, obstacles that have popped up that I think are unique, but also ubiquitous in in a lot of ways. Like I think Everybody has obstacles in their lives at different points. And, you know, there's tension that builds up within oneself as they're encountering these sort of hurdles. And, um, you know, the way that I have approached, I guess, just like persisting or like moving forward through my life is something that I wanted to really explore. And I think that that is a pretty universal question of like, how do we deal with hard things? And like, how do we pursue like, things that feel good and things that were are interesting to us. And so, you know, while this is a memoir in the sense that it's my journey, my hope is that it, you know, it resonates with people who um, also have those, those feelings and those questions. Yeah. I think uh, it's really clear in your book that your love of space <laughs> helped you a, a lot. And, and so um, I have, I have like a, a two part question. First, can you tell us what, what 
you love so much about space. Um, Because you, the reason I got to read a preview of your book was so I could write a blurb. And in my blurb, I wrote that (laughs) reading your book made me wish I loved space more. And the listeners know I already love space a lot. So like, what what is your favorite thing about it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that meant so much to me for you to say that. Um, What drew me in when I was really little and has continued to draw me in time and time again, even now, is that I love how thinking about how small we are in the sort of grand expanse of the universe. And, you know, I I learned about dark energy and dark matter when I was a teenager. And I remember thinking how we only know 5% of everything in the universe and everything else is unknown. And that blows my mind. Like, as I think somebody who you know, loves exploring and loves being curious about things. Me, that's like, I don't know. That's like, oh my God, give me more of that. Like, I want to, I want to explore that. I want to think about that. And I think, you know, Mm. as somebody with anxiety, as somebody who can get overwhelmed by, by life, remembering that we are, you know, so small, I think really puts into context some of the anxieties that I feel on a day-to-day level. And, that's really uh, an important perspective that I think keeps me grounded, even though I'm looking up to the stars. That reminds me the an earlier version of this podcast title was We're So Tiny, because we were thinking about that so much of like, we wanted people to feel more comfortable with space. And I think the tininess can either be like invigorating or terrifying. Yes. Um, yeah. But I really like that you've leaned into the like, I want to, this is exciting. <laughs> I think that's a really good description of how people react to the enormity, like the the scale of the universe. Yeah. It is either, at least in my experience talking to people, it's either that is terrifying. I'm so scared or, oh my God, let's go out and explore and learn more about it. And I just, I think just happened to fall into the, the ladder camp, but it, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to someone about this and I was like, you know, I am terrified of the ocean, which has a very similar, it's, mm, it's the yeah. earth's version of the universe. And, and something in my brain is like, that's scary. You know, the, the vastness of the ocean is terrifying to me. And yet I'll be like, oh, like take me to space any day. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what switch got flipped in my brain, but that's where I am. Well, I think at, at this stage, it's because you've built up so much familiarity with the universe. I mean, you've you've been a fan of space since you were a literal child mm-hmm. for a long time. Um, and so it's it's been with you and you've woven it into your life. You can see that in the book. So my, my I guess my part two of this question is, can you tell us a bit more about how you use your, your love of space to help you through your anxious moments? It, one thing that's wonderful about astronomy in general is that pretty much everyone on earth has access to the night sky. Like, to some degree, right? There is an accessibility to that, that, for example, if I were my, one of my best friends is a big cats researcher and like she has to go to certain parts of the earth to be able to do that type of research. Not no pun intended, but there's a universality, I think, mm-hmm. to the night sky and the way that comes into life, you know, when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel anxious, I can literally just walk outside and look up and There is something so it's like um, a very physical way to remind myself of how small we are. For example, I think, I don't know how familiar you both are with like treatments for anxiety, but one of the like strategies that therapists have talked about with me is, you know, when I'm on the verge of having a panic attack, look around and say five things I can see, Mm, five things I can smell five things I can touch, you know, and to me, the night sky kind of does that. And yeah, it's sort of this sort of immediate physical sensation that I feel when I look up that is helpful. But I think, you know, other than sort of this like physicality to it, I think there is also, you know, a passion and a joy for what's out there. I'm very lucky to do what I do. And I'm very lucky to be able to think about concepts that I'm passionate about or curious about on a day-to-day level. And I thought a lot about how 
I'm recasting my values in life as less about achievement and the pursuit of something that is, you know, a goal and more about just sort of the process. And I think the fact that I can say that I get to do this every day and think about these things every day and talk about them as a science communicator and write about them in a book, like what better thing could I have for my anxiety than that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the book writing must have helped you work through a lot of your own anxiety. And then you get to share that strategy with other people um, and hopefully help them through their own tough yeah, times. Yeah, I hope so. Is there anything else you hope people get from the book? Yeah, I think a sense of belonging. Um, I felt out of place or different a lot of my life. And part of that is, you know, it's different parts of my like identity and passions and lived experience and family and culture that have culminated in, in various ways to make me feel like I don't belong. And that is incredibly difficult to hold and believe at the same time as I want to pursue my dreams of becoming an astronomer. And so I had to really figure out a way to navigate through that lack of belonging or otherness. And I hope that this book can provide a sense of belonging to other people who, you know, might feel different or might feel like they don't they're not good enough to do something or they don't, they don't belong to something that they want to. It's a really important message to get out there. I hope it, I hope it lands. <laughs> I, I think it will. I think there will be a lot of people who read this book and see that there are ways to become a scientist. There are paths to becoming a scientist that don't look like, you know, a, tr- a conventional like white dude who gets into it at a young age because they have parents who do this and then, and then right. go through the path without any sort of doubt or pushback. Like it'll be really mm-hmm. powerful for people to see that they're, it's not always going to be a straightforward line. You know, the book publicity stuff is just starting and I'm, I'm kind of on the cusp of doing interviews and talking about it. But what has been startling to me is that every single interview that I have done about this book, where the interviewer has read the book ahead of time, Every single person, especially women, have said, I actually wanted to become a fill in the blank here. Oh, I wanted to be stronger. I wanted to do physics. I want, I liked math. Then ultimately they fell out of it because they didn't feel like they belonged. Every single one, even on my publishing team, like my, there are several people on my like publicity and marketing team that two of them wanted from astronomers. Whoa. Wow. Which is, that's really wild. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, I hope that this book like resonates and lands with people, but more than that, I am learning how truly ubiquitous this feeling is and like how mm. people's lives are changed by feeling like they don't belong and, and yeah. making decisions based on that or being told they don't belong. Right. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really astonishing. Like the the astronomer who visited your camp and told you that you weren't going to be a good astronomer. Like imagine if little Serafina had had you visiting the camp instead or if they were reading this book at the camp. Like you're going to you're going to change so many people's lives. And that's that's really awesome. And that was when I cried. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. I this book, you know, in a lot of ways was understanding how I got here and the decisions that I made, but it's also sort of a love letter to a younger version of me who didn't have stories like this told to her. Yeah. So it was sort of like, it was a selfish endeavor in that way because I (laughs) wanted to, you know, provide something that I, to myself that I never had. Yeah. I think most of the times when we write books, it's for selfish reasons. We're writing a book that we we want to see out there. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) I only felt like a fraud the first like two or three interviews I gave because my publicist was like, you know, talk about how much you want to give back to people, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, that is all true. But I also like, ultimately, at the end of the day, I wrote this book for myself. Like I wrote it for me. And if people read it, like I, I really hope they do. But at the end of the day, like, this was an exercise I felt like I had to take for myself. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I felt like an imposter. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I feel like a lot of like art stuff, especially asks that of you of like, like you have to defend this art you've made because it was mm. for the greater good or something. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I actually wanted to do this for me. Yeah. I think when you read things that were written for the author and not for the reader, you can sense it and you like, like it more. Yeah. It is more honest in a way. Mm-hmm. You can't, it's like a palpable difference. That's really very true. Thanks for the validation, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Hi, it's Moya, and welcome to this episode's mid-break. Serafina, Corinne, and I are actually all recording this episode from our homes, so we hope that you're enjoying listening in your place, wherever that happens to be. I especially hope that our sun-like stars are super comfy wherever they are, so thank you to Sharn Llewellyn, to Finn, and to Peyton. You are doing the amazing work of keeping us all grounded with your sun-like gravitational fields. I also want to thank our newest M or Red Dwarf star, Chris M. Uh... Chris M, an M dwarf star. I love that. And our newest pre-main sequence star, Gunnar Madsen. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. It really makes a difference here as an independent podcast. You can support us, hear your name on the show, and make it to our patron star chart all by supporting us on Patreon for just about $1 per episode. You also get access to director's commentary or research notes for every single episode we do. And you can find uh, that star chart and the Patreon info at our website, palebluepod.com, or by going right to patreon.com slash palebluepod. Don't you worry, those links are down in this episode's description. And if you can't support us financially, that is totally fine. We still love you, and so does the universe. You are still space. But you can support us in another way by sharing the episodes with your friends. That is a great way to help our show grow, and we would really appreciate it. Are you looking for a fun, no-pressure way to learn math and science? Well, if you are, I would recommend checking out Brilliant.org. It's the best way to learn math and science interactively online. Brilliant has thousands of lessons in math, science, data analysis, computer stuff, and they're making new classes every month. You can enjoy storytelling, guided problem solving, and making lots of mistakes while you learn because learning takes mistakes, but it's going to feel like you're playing a game. Brilliant doesn't just teach you facts and formulas. They actually develop your intuition for these subjects through interactive gameplay. So their science courses can help you get a deeper understanding of the things we talk about on the show, like electricity and magnetism or special relativity, or you can branch out to their other classes, learn about geometry, learn about algebra, learn about foundational logic and how to set up a pseudocode on a computer program. Whatever you learn on Brilliant, you're going to have a fun time doing it. So head over to brilliant.org slash palebluepod to get a 30-day free trial, and the first 200 people will get 20% off their annual subscription. Again, that is brilliant.org slash palebluepod. That link is also in this episode's description. I have a couple podcast recommendations for you. The first is coming from the American Chemical Society. You heard that, right? It's a very legit podcast from a legit organization, and it is called Tiny Matters. Tiny Matters is a science podcast about things small in size, like neurotransmitters, microscopic organisms, or maybe even ancient genes. But all of those small things have a big impact on our world, both good and bad. Tiny Matters is hosted by former scientists turned science communicators, Sam Jones and Deboki Chakravarti, women after my own heart. Sam and Deboki interview scientists each week, tracking down answers to questions like, how does our brain form memories? Is there a limit to how small we can make a computer? And could we actually terraform Mars? I was on an episode last year to talk about my book, The Milky Way. That episode is called If the Milky Way Could Talk, in case you want to start with a familiar voice. Sam and Deboki know that science doesn't operate in a vacuum, so every Tiny Matters episode is packed with history and real societal impact in the modern day. A new episode of Tiny Matters drops every other Wednesday. You can listen to it on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, but you are going to want to check this out. Again, that's Tiny Matters wherever you get your podcasts every other Wednesday. 
My second podcast recommendation for you is coming from The Multitude Collective, and it is a show for everyone out there who likes to play or watch games. It's called Games and Feelings, and it's an advice podcast about games. You can join question keeper Eric Silver, permanent guest Jasper Cartwright, and a revolving cast of new friends as they answer your questions at the intersection of fun and humanity since, you know, you gotta play games with other people. And we're talking every single type of game here. Video games, tabletop games, party games, laser tag, escape rooms, whatever you can think of. They'll answer questions like, how do you convince people who have only played Monopoly to play the new board game you grabbed at a game store? Or is an escape room a good third date? They answer any and all questions as long as they are games related. And the question askers get a fun advice nickname like Rolling Bad in Carlsbad or Bethesda Fan in Bethesda, Maryland. I think you have to say it so that it, it rhymes like that. Sometimes the show's feed also features the hit 2020 podcast, What's Your Favorite Pokemon? And Then I Say Something Nice About You, where Eric Silver interviews people about their favorite Pokemon and then says something nice about them. If you like any of this, if it sounds good, fun, interesting to you, and you want to level up your emotional intelligence stat, then subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts to Games and Feelings. New episodes come out every Friday. Now let's get back to this interview with Serafina. Both of us here have written books. We've been through the process. We uh, know what it was like for us, but I, I'd like to hear more about how it was for you. Like how, what is the story of, of this book and how it got made? Yeah, I think by virtue of it being a memoir, the sort of annoying response to that is this has been a book in the making for 30 years and <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know like right that's, uh -huh. that's like uh, whatever but I think really this book started as a response to a lot of therapy <laughs> like sure. I I was recovering from my mastectomy and I was really thinking a lot about like life and meaning and big mm. concepts death and it just so happens that at that time, you know, I started having conversations with literary agents and I was kicking around the idea of like, you know, what a book would mean. It's not like this happened, this happened. This. Like I, in another life, I think would be a full-time writer and I love books. Books have been so core to my being ever since I was a kid. I'm an only child. I didn't have a lot of friends and I just like read a lot. And... Aww. I, I love thinking a lot about what I'm reading and what I'm writing. And therapy is sort of a natural, like, addendum to that, I guess. All of that is to say, um, the summer of 2020, I started putting together a book proposal with my now literary agent, who also happens to be a dear friend. And mm. uh, we worked on it for about nine months. And the process of that was less about the writing and more about thinking about themes and thinking about current research around representation and around mental health and like mm. what impact, what am I trying to say in this book? I, I sort of, I think we both had this moment of like, oh, we got it. Like we had a moment <laughs> where it just sort of all clicked and it was like, all right, time to send it out. And it was terrifying, but it was, you know, it was exciting in the sense that I think we both felt incredibly invested in what we'd created. Yeah. And then we signed with Dutton, the imprint that I am being published by and <sighs> took us it was about a two year journey from then until now. So three years total. Mm -hmm. um, I turned in the manuscript in uh, October of last year had about a month of meetings with lawyers and um, trying oh, wow. to, yeah, that's a different, I think. Yeah. I didn't have that, yeah. I, but I wasn't <laughs> talking about real people. So yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It was, and it was, it was more extensive legal read than I think anyone anticipated um, because I wrote a book that I think we, it was slightly different than what we thought we were going to land mm -hmm. on at the beginning. Um, that always happens, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, I think so. Like in the process of writing, you figure out what you're writing and like, then yeah. you revise mm -hmm. and you, yeah. Yeah, I think three three years sounds about right. Um, I got my, my deal at the beginning of 2020. I uh, started working on the proposal like six months before that. So, and it came out in August of 2022. 
were you working with someone on the proposal or were you just doing all yeah. of that on your okay yeah. oh god no no i have an agent who i love so much literary agents are like literally godsends <laughs> did you yeah how did you find yours i said i mean she's a friend now but were you friends before no so she um used to be an editor and then sort of switched over to being a literary agent but a friend in the breast cancer community who happens to also have BRCA and also have the same surgeon as me. Uh, mm. We are friends and she uh, worked with my literary agent. She's also an editor and was like, you got to work with Melissa. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I had mm-hmm. to like, like get Melissa to fall in love with me a little bit. I was like courting <laughs> Melissa for a yeah. couple months. <laughs> I can't um, imagine that's hard for you to do, Serafina. <laughs> I mean, I was just basically like, like me, please. Like, <laughs> um, but no, it, it was, it's been like the best relationship and, and hopefully, Aww. you know, we'll work on many more books together. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how I found the, the actual writing process and like I defined myself as a writer Mm-hmm. I found the writing process horrible. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> Which Wait, is what so did you funny. find horrible about it? Uh, well, so my book was like a, it's like a self-help parody book. It's like a, it's a gift book. It's something that you pick up. It's something you buy on your way, like at or, out of Urban Outfitters or something like that. Like just to frame it. Wait, this is dope. I want to, I want to order it. It's a few years old now. Um, But for me, because it was a joke book, I think I it was such a lonely experience writing it. And I had done no. so much performing and so much, like, mm. in-person comedy things that then to be writing this, there's no writer's room, there's no whatever. I'm just, like, sending right. these pages into the ether. It felt like a bit that I was stuck in for a really long time. And then by yeah. the time it finally came out, and I'm sure, like, any genre, by the time it comes out, you're like, is this what I want it to be? Like, I I don't, I think I've lost the thread of, like, what this mm. book was or should be, or I'm no longer a good judge. I'm literally having a call with, with Melissa, my agent, tomorrow about this exact thing of, like, what, what does this book really mean? Like, yes. <laughs> and I think you have that crisis no matter what, because once you've created it, you know that it contains multitudes. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's more than the summary on the back or the summary on the yes. Amazon link or what other people are kind of, like, the sentence summary they're giving before you chat with them. Yeah, and I found that really difficult because I, I felt – I found it really – I really wanted to explain, like, you don't understand there's, like, so many things about this. Or it felt so vulnerable once it actually came out for me. I was very Mm. self-conscious suddenly, which I I didn't prep myself for. And not that that would have really helped, but... Was that different than being performing? So I would imagine that, like, both are vulnerable in different ways. It was kind of like, I think performing, you get that immediate feedback of like what people are thinking, mm-hmm. how you can calibrate, what is and isn't working. And then with the book being out there and people telling me like, oh, I got your book, I'm reading it now or whatever. And just knowing, it's kind of like knowing people are talking about you in the other room, but like you can't hear them or like say you're listening. It yeah. was very, it, it just felt, maybe feel very exposed. Yeah. Mm. I'm like emphatically for listeners, I'm emphatically nodding. I, yeah. I, I, every cell <laughs> within me is just like saying yes. Yeah. There's just so many moods around from like, you know, conception to publication that I went through. And my husband's mm. working on a book now coming out in the fall. And, and I've been like, finally, like, let me tell you, here's what my mental health was like beginning to yeah. end doing this. <laughs> you don't always have control, especially over those marketing materials. So you're like, how do I get myself across? Cause I'm, th- this book is so much of me now. Absolutely. Mm. I, I feel like I've struggled with that sort of already in the sense of like reviews. I, I need to not read reviews, but don't I, read the course, reviews, Serafina. Serafina, right. I have reviews that were like, there's no real advice in this book. This book didn't help me at all. And I'm like, yeah, it's not supposed to. <laughs> there are just people who just don't get it and are happy to put that online. <laughs> so. I, and I, I, I feel very validated in this moment because I know in my brain that this is a, a common problem or like, experience and yet I still it feels like you're the only one who's experiencing this yes yes yes. Mm. yeah and like I think what you just said about 
your book being expansive and like having so much of you in it. That's exactly how I feel about mine. Like this is like my soul wrapped up in like paper (laughs) being out in the world. And I know that everybody sort of projects their own experiences or their own beliefs or their own whatever onto whatever they're consuming content wise. But I still want to be, you know, there's a very human need to be seen as like, here is what I am telling you. And I want you to hear what I intended to tell you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Other than have people's Mm -hmm. projections define the way that they interact with the material. So there's something like a a desire to control that, that is really hard. Especially with a genre like yours. It's like you put yourself on the page to be understood. So Mm -hmm. then to still leave yourself open to that misinterpretation or misunderstanding is so, it'll drive you insane. It's it's currently driving me insane. (laughs) Oh no. Well, well, Corinne, in hindsight, do you feel like there's anything more you could have done to prepare um, That's a good for, question. For being so vulnerable, so that maybe like I Seraphine, think, are I, you? I think conversations what? like this really helped. Yeah. Of like, okay, this isn't something only I've experienced or only I will experience. And I think letting it go. I don't think you're the type of person who would ever do this, but I have seen some authors who like will write back to a bad Goodreads review, and I'm like, "That's such a bad look. Like, do oh, not no. do that." I won't <laughs> be doing. I think just oh. also like checking up on your favorites. Like if you were to ever read the comments and you're feeling disheartened or whatever, yeah, which I don't expect that you will be getting bad feedback, but but, but it's inevitable. Yeah, there will be someone who like totally someone just wrote frivolous as a review for my book. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> funny to me. Sometimes they're so funny, the low reviews. Yeah. But checking up on like people you've really admired and like they get right. that too. It's not different and it's not, it doesn't mean that you mm-hmm. are good or bad or anything. It's yeah. just inevitable. I'll send you some of the bad reviews of my book, Serafina. <laughs> I, I, and that's the thing is what's wild is like, I love your book. You know, it's like, I, I need to like take the people who I connect with and I already know and yes. hear their feedback and, and like really try to internalize it rather than the people I don't know. But of course yeah. it's like, it's hard. It's also been helpful to remember, like, I think that people who it doesn't, resonate with it's like okay it's not for you and it's not for everyone and if you don't like it okay move on I didn't make it for you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I think that's such good advice like as a reader all the time you read books where you're like oh this is this is not resonating in the way that other books do and that doesn't mean it's bad book but sometimes it is a bad book and then (laughs) then it gets dicey (laughs) Um, no, I feel very validated in this. Thanks, good. Thanks, y'all. Good. You should, because you you are. Um, everything you're feeling is valid. Putting a book out is always stressful. Like, it's a wild time in anyone's life. But to put a book out that is so vulnerable and so honest about your personal experiences yeah. uh, is, is like, beyond admirable. Um, so in the tone, in the along the lines of helping you internalize the, the good things that people say, the people who are actually in your life. Um, I loved the writing. I loved the writing in this book. And I texted you after I finished. I think I sent you a picture of the side of the book. I have tabbed up this book. They're color-coded. And the most common color of the tabs is the color that I used for beautiful prose. Um, there There are so many moments where I just thought that the way you wrote something was just like, Art, you know. So I have a few of them, but I like a few of your, a few. It's just a few quotes, and so I wanted to just like share some of them. Um, feel free to respond. I I mute myself so I don't like scream as you're speaking. This is I just again for listeners. This is like the highest praise I and like all I could ever strive for and want is is like what. Yeah, thank you, Moya. That is incredibly kind. Don't you dare mute yourself. (laughs) I want to hear all the reactions. Poor listeners are going to be like, oh my God, this girl screamed for like half of the (laughs) Yes. Well, then it's not for them. (laughs) Yeah. You're right. It is not for them. Um, I want to start with one that is is just very on theme um, for the podcast because 
we we're going to like Corinne said call ourselves we're so tiny we really enjoy uh talking about our scale in the universe and there was this one part of the book where you're you're talking about your dad's cancer diagnosis when you you first find out and you you say there are stars dying this very moment and other stars just being born. There are suns erupting and planets breaking and chaos. Oh, so much chaos. And this is just like that. This is just another moment of change, a tiny blip in the universe. Um, that perspective is gorgeous. <laughs> I can't speak right now. Um, <laughs> you know, that's actually a section that I wrote with the proposal. So that was part of the sample chapter oh. that I sent. And I love that. That was one of those paragraphs, lines where I, I just, it felt right. Like every word just felt needed and poignant and exactly what I was trying to say. So mm -hmm. I'm glad you chose, I'm glad that one resonated with you. It did. And like the, the rushing of the, the way you wrote the sentence in this kind of like carry on way, like you are breathless at the end of it. I imagine that is how it felt in the moment. So just like chef's kiss. Great job. Thank um, you. Another one that I have is when you're talking about dark matter and energy, and uh, I also really loved the artful way you wrote about the science Ugh. here, like those little science essays. You that had a, a description of particle physics that I, I just like highlighted the entire thing. I was like, <laughs> yes, that's so good. Um, <laughs> wow, this was really, really wonderful. Thanks, Maya. I'm here to hype you up, girl. <laughs> I really have to take all of it because I need, I need all of it. Um, no, thank you. I'm glad. Awesome. So the, this is Serafina Nance on dark energy and dark matter. Um, I imagine whirls the color of dusk sweeping through the room, dancing between the desks, swollen with the weight of a million invisible worlds. Girl, what the howdy? What? <laughs> Beautiful. Um, also made me wonder, like, if you weren't a supernova researcher, mm. what else would you study? Are you very into dark matter and energy? I'm into dark energy. That's essentially how I landed on the research that I'm doing right now. Um, the expansion of the universe uh, is propelled by dark energy, and I use supernova to measure that. And in fact, we learned about dark energy because we were studying supernova. So, you know, mm -hmm. as a teenager, when I was first getting really into astronomy, I went to an astrophysicist who ended up being my research advisor uh, in undergrad. And I said, I want to do supernova and dark energy. And now I do both, which is really cool. There you go. Um, yeah, I love, I love not being able to, like one is bright and visible and violent and just like messy. And that's what a supernova is. And then dark energy is this like mysterious, you know, thing you can't see or feel or touch, but it's there and it's, it's, it's like powerful. And I love the juxtaposition mm. of the two. Yeah. The most and least visible things in the universe. That's a really Pretty nice much. juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Okay, I have two more that I want to I want to share with you. This one God. also has a follow up question. <laughs> is this weird? Is this too no, weird? No, I am. I am. This like means so much to me. I I'm think it's just, the perfect like... book trailer. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I agree. Uh, so this is a, a section where you're talking about your last semester of college and how you're starting to enjoy your physics classes. And you say the best moments are when formulas slide together seamlessly. And for a few precious moments, I can see the problem a million different ways from the foundational first principles all the way to how they play out in the universe. <sighs> because like, that's a hard moment to capture. And I think I have experienced that exact moment where like, usually all of these equations, they used to feel so intimidating. I didn't know when to use them or how I could manipulate them to fit different situations. And that moment where it all clicks, I love the mm -hmm. way that you describe it. Like it's this, they're sliding together seamlessly. So this is a, this is just a general question about grad school. Now that you're almost done with it, now that you are almost officially Dr. Nance, uh, do you have any reflections on your experience that you would like to share with us and anyone in the audience who is pondering the possibility of grad school? You know, writing about physics, not the sort of phenomena that I talk about, but the actual doing of the physics was really challenging. That is a hard like way of thinking. And, and it was a challenging thing to write about. And I think something that I experienced through college and grad school, and I wish someone had told me at the outset or even in the middle, is physics makes more sense the more you do it. 
So mm. I will never forget how fucking lost I was in my intro to mechanics course, my freshman year of college. And now looking back, that's theoretically quote, the easiest physics class you'll take, but nothing mm -hmm. made sense. I was like, literally, what am I looking at right now? Like yes. it was, it was <laughs> beyond another language. It was like another language from another planet, from another <laughs> fucking like, yeah, it was just not, nothing was landing. And the more I did physics until I got to my senior year, I was in the artist physics classes. I was in particle physics at quantum mechanics three, like all mm. of these extraordinarily challenging classes. And yet I was having the easiest time that I had had to date. And that's because I had built up this intuition and understanding of how to think about physics problems that I didn't realize that's really what the degree is about. It's not yes. about all the physics that you know. It's about developing a way to think about problems and the world. Mm -hmm. It's giving you enough experience points to develop the intuition yes. for how to solve the problems. Yeah, That's yes. such a cool way to put it. I did not know that until I was done. And I think it would have relieved so much stress had I known that earlier on, mm. especially because there were people in my classes who were really good at physics and it seemed to come naturally. And it was only later that I realized, well, they've been doing it longer. Like they, they took AP physics and whatever, like everyone's experience coming to a degree or an event, everyone's experience is different and you cannot hold yourself in comparison to others because you just don't know what their journey has been yours is, is different and that's beautiful and okay yeah it would be bad science to compare your journey to theirs because you don't know what the bounds of their journey are that's what i'm fucking saying <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm saying <laughs> um, uh, speaking of alleviating, alleviating stress and anxiety, this is the, the last quote that I picked out. Um, and it's when you it's near the beginning of the book where you're starting to have a voice, you're developing a voice in your mind to speak back against the anxious voice. And you say, she's the voice of the stars. She is infinite and small, somehow both at the same time. She is calm. She doesn't speak, but she pushes me slightly against my heart to remember the sky. And that's just a really beautiful way of articulating your connection to space and how it has been a healing connection for you. Um, this is something that I have felt, and I am glad that you wrote it down so beautifully. I love you so much, and I'm so glad that resonated. I, I think that that quote that you just pulled goes back to this idea of the universe within ourselves. And when I think about, I, I did this exercise with a therapist a couple years ago, um, where I imagine the woman that I want to become. I imagine the less anxious, the more poised, the more like well-spoken, whatever it is, version of me. And the thing that you just described, the she within me of the universe, that's who that is. And Aww. I think, you know, my work in self-discovery and therapy and, and writing and, and researching is to bring me closer to, to her. That's really nice. That's really beautiful. I had a therapy exercise where I had to write a bio, like a short bio of kind of who I want to be. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was, I was really putting it off because I was scared of doing it. And I think some of those exercises, a weird feeling came up for me, which is like too much power, not too much power, but like mm. suddenly it's like too much confidence that I, that I didn't know where to put. And like the Ooh. whole point of the exercise was to create that confidence and like work towards that version of me. But it really opened up a lot doing exercises like that. It, and it's still a journey. It's not like always there. Yeah, I love that. I have recently been reading um, Pleasure Activism by, it's a compilation of essays and other things from Adrian Marie Brown. And mm -hmm. the first essay um, is from Audre Lorde. And I, I don't remember the exact title, but it's about eroticism. And mm. it's about not necessarily not limited to erotic as a like sexual like interpretation but there's something that you just said that really reminded me of that in reclaiming your part and your agency and I think a lot of 
like my experience as a woman has been divorcing myself of that and distancing myself with from my inner confident person who can take up space and be all of myself at once. And there is something pleasurable um, in Audre Lorde's uh, words. There's something erotic about that idea. And mm. there's something really empowering about being able to like recognize that in yourself that you already have that. Yeah, yeah. definitely you already have it. You just need a place to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put it on a nice shelf, display it for everyone to see. Well, that is a really nice note to end on. Um, Serafina, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, can you tell the listeners where to find you online when they inevitably want to? <laughs> Yeah, I am at Starstricken SF on all platforms, I think. And my book is called Starstruck, and it is available everywhere you get your books. So go grab a copy. Yay! <laughs> what about audiobooks, Serafina? Yeah, I just finished recording the audiobook. So if you want to hear my dulcet tones uh, for hours, <laughs> you should go <laughs> grab the audiobook. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Definitely do that because it is rare for authors to read their own audiobooks. So, so you can, it can be a burst of Serafina no matter how you decide to enjoy Starstruck. <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> yeah. So, wherever you are, whatever you're reading, it better be Starstruck. I hope you remember that you are space. Pale Blue Pod was created by Moya McTeer and Corinne Caputo with help from the Multitude Productions team. Our theme music is by Evan Johnston and our cover art is by Shay McMullen. Our audio editing is handled by the incomparable Misha Stanton. Stay in touch with us and the universe by following at Pale Blue Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or check out our website, palebluepod.com. We're a member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like Pale Blue Pod, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. If you want to support Pale Blue Pod financially, join our community over at patreon.com slash palebluepod. For just about $1 per episode, you get a shout out on one of our shows and access to director's commentary for each episode. The very best way, though, to help Pale Blue Pod grow is to share it with your friends. So send this episode, this link, to one person who you think will like it, and we will appreciate you for forever. Thanks for listening to Pale Blue Pod. You'll hear us again next week. Bye. Bye.